This is Psychic Warfare. Welcome back, my friends, to Psychic Warfare, the podcast where spirituality and philosophy collide with heavy metal and rock and roll. I am your host, Chris Keelick, and thank you for joining me once again on another journey into the lives and minds of the most iconic musicians in heavy music. Just as a reminder, if you enjoy the podcast and these conversations with the artists you love, it would mean the world to me if you subscribed and followed the podcast on your platform of choice. Also, you can follow me and the show at Pod on Twitter and at Psychic Warfare Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. So if you get a chance, follow the show there for updates and happenings on all things Psychic Warfare. This week, Carson Pace, vocalist and songwriter of Mathcore Outfit, the Callous Dow Boys, joins us on Psychic Warfare. The Callous Dow Boys hail from Atlanta, Georgia, and delivered their new record, Celebrity Therapist, this past September. And it's already found its way on many end-of-the-year best-of lists, even though it's 2023. It's a constantly surprising record full of witty and acerbic lyricism and a ton of gut punches that keep you coming back. This is a band to watch in the coming years, and it is a pleasure to have him on. Carson, welcome to the Psychic Warfare Podcast, and it's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Um, that, that that was quite an intro. <laughs> I seem to get a lot of comments on my intros, but I never stop uh, being grateful for for the people that appreciate them. So thank you very much. So I just want to lead off oh, with yeah. saying, uh, how are you feeling at this moment in time, mentally, physically, and spiritually? Uh, you know, it's funny is I I listened to several episodes of the of the show. I, I've kind of been having a rule where I I don't do an interview or a podcast unless I like, like the podcast. Um, so I listened to uh, two or three episodes of this and, and heard you ask that question every time. And I thought I'd be ready for it when you asked me, <laughs> um, but I wasn't, I wasn't at all. Um, mentally I'm feeling okay. Uh, I have a bit of a, uh, of a drive to, I, there's a little bit of pressure to uh you know out outdo myself uh with what we're writing right now you know being that we had such a big year with the new record and all that um physically um i feel uh like i need to uh get in better shape <laughs> before Same we go thing. on tour <laughs> um spiritually uh, i never quite know where i'm at and i think that's the beauty of it so spiritually uh one day I might be feeling very spiritual. Uh, the next I might be feeling not spiritual at all. But at the moment, uh, uh, questionable. I don't we'll, know. We'll don't find know out in the next hour, I guess. And you probably heard this question a lot, too, if you listen to some episodes in the past. So what was your spiritual upbringing like? Did you grow up in a household that held a certain faith or was spirituality something personal that you developed and discovered over time or a personal philosophy? What was that like? Um. Yes. Uh, uh, so I think in interviews leading up to celebrity therapist coming out, I think I mentioned a lot that I was, I, I, I was raised a uh, very Christian, uh, a specific sect of Christianity that, you know, one of those that believes that uh, they're the only ones that are, are going to heaven and everyone right. else is going very to very fundamentalist and, uh, kind of vibes, fundamentalist uh, fear mongering. Um, it's sort of like a combination of like uh Baptist and uh a little Jehovah's Witness in there, mm. I, I guess. Um, but those people are weird, you know. <laughs> like that's like that's how we were, you know, raised as you know, anybody that wasn't uh Church of Christ was uh was weird. So um yeah, 
I, I was in there for many, many years. Um, and then I think when I was in fifth grade, we started going to a mega church, uh, just, you know, your classic Southern stomp clap mega church with the, with the contemporary Christian music and all that. Yep. Hands in the um, air. Hands in the air. Yeah. Uh, no speaking in tongues. I never quite got there. No snakes. No, uh, snake handling. <laughs> no snake handling or nothing like that. Uh, but, uh, and then after that, I, I'd say that, thing that probably ruined my spirituality for a good 10 or so years uh was uh i went to a uh i went to a private uh methodist christian school Mm. for for middle school so real uh a lot of a lot of conflicting things uh which i think is weird for a kid um especially growing up yeah yeah um growing up in the in the age that i did of like you know the internet started taking over everything and it becoming, you know, the primary source of communication and all that uh, really weird to be raised in multiple different types of faith, um, you know, coming up through that. So uh, that's, that's kind of where the background starts and ends, I suppose. Where was the first kind of inflection point in your life that you really kind of started to, I mean, aside from the fifth grade stuff that you were really kind of like, I don't, not necessarily that I don't think that this is for me, but kind of like, this is something more that I'm gravitating towards that's new that I'm really resonating with more than what I grew up with. And I'm kind of going to build myself around, you know, this thing or pull from different places. When was, can you remember when the first time that was and what was it that really kind of hit you? Yeah, sure. Um, I think that I, it had to be when I was in, I was in private, uh, private Christian school. Um, I, I just remember a lot of talk of, of just, you know, people that the church didn't like going to hell and and stuff like that and uh a lot of just these you know my my parents weren't you know by any means like our family wasn't by any means poor but i was definitely one of the kids in the in the school that whose parents didn't have like a lot of money um and it just all felt very fake that's the best word i can use to describe it and it was like, we're all coming here to, you know, uh, to go to this school that has these accolades and stuff like that. And, you know, half the people that go to the school are, you know, going to UGA or some other prestigious school to graduate and get a communications degree and, you know, all do all the same shit that their parents do. And, you know, they're just going to get hired at their parents' company anyway. Yeah. You know, it was just, it was, it, it, it just felt very, uh, felt very manufactured and um, I don't know. I think I've always felt very out of my, out, out of place. Like my entire life, I've always felt like I don't fit in anywhere at all. Um, including now, which is not incredibly fun, but uh, that was where it, I, I most felt it. And I was like, oh, I, I think I need to go and do my own thing. And, you know, I was, I was, on a lot of Adderall, uh, you know, crazy Adderall prescription that, you know, I got because I didn't want to focus on school. I wanted to write lyrics in math class and stuff. So, um, I don't know. I was just like, that was everything kind of crumbled. And I was like, yeah, I don't think this is for me. And, you know, as much as, you know, guidance counselors and tutors and my parents want me to figure this whole academia thing out, I was just like, I I don't think I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to take a different way. And, you know, I everything 
else is just going to have to kind of suffer for that. So <laughs> yeah. Well, now you know that you what didn't work for you. When was the first time you're like, okay, this does work for me? Was there something that was like, okay, this does work for me? And did that come like later on as you were just growing up? I think so. Um, I remember, uh, you know, I I had I I'd love to say that I had I had bands in in you know middle school and and elementary school and stuff like that. They weren't exactly bands. It was you know me and a couple friends would learn how to play one song and we'd be like, okay, cool. We've, we know how to play seven nation army by the white stripes. Let's play it again. <laughs> or, uh, I don't care by fallout boy. That was like another one that we like just That's rehearsed a million fucking times. Yeah, dude, absolutely. Um, you know, it was, it was sort of like when it started sounding like how I heard it in my head or how I listened to it on my iPod, I was like, I was like, we're getting somewhere. Okay, this is cool. Um, That was the first time it really started clicking. And then I did solo music all throughout high school. I did um, electronic music. And uh, I remember I got like a pretty big gig playing South by Southwest one year, uh, just based off of tracks that I had on SoundCloud and remixes that I had done for like, you know, like podcasts and stuff like that. And it was just like, this is working out. And like, my girlfriend's parents are impressed that I'm going to play South by Southwest. And, you know, maybe my parents don't understand the significance of that, or maybe like, you know, other people don't, but like, you know, something is working. I'm very clearly on some kind of correct path. You know, did you now at the same time as this was going on, you obviously had a lot of things to look at and you're like, okay, this isn't how I want to treat people, or this isn't how I want to kind of conduct myself in the world you know, were you forming your own identity in terms of, okay, this is how I want to treat people. And this is how I think should, people should be treated and kind of like reconstructing your morality. Or do you think you always kind of had that innate sense of how you wanted to treat people, but you were just in a system, you were kind of raised in a system that was kind of holding you back from kind of expressing that or doing that. You know, I think what I've realized uh, very recently is that um, for the first half or more of my life i wasn't really thinking about uh how i was treating other people which is Mm. you know not a great revelation to come to but the way i you know try and forgive myself for that is that i was trying to figure myself out and i was trying to navigate you know and you were like (laughs) school not being for me yeah no very much so and you know so by that logic um i think a lot of it was like well, I don't fit in anywhere. So why does it matter? Um, and that really comes back to bite shit in the ass, you know, when you have uh, relationships with, you know, people and uh, money starts changing hands and, you know, bandmates start to hate you and stuff like that. So um, I think a lot of the sense of how I treated people was just, you know, solely based on nurture of like, you know, I think the, the othering that happened to me is, you know, something that, you know, you tend to get used to and you're just like, well, I'm being othered. So it's fine if I, you know, other, other people, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Which is, you know, a terrible thing to, uh, an awful thing to realize that you've been doing for 25 years. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, I I don't know, man. I, I think that my sense of morals just, I guess, came from, came a lot out of uh you know just kind of wanting everything to be everyone to be very equal and uh of course i wanted to have friends but you know it was it was just sort of like well i think everybody just thinks i'm kind of weird and and that's 
that's fine. But I'm going to treat everybody either like they're all weird or like they're all the same. So I don't I don't really know that it had that much to do with it. I think that's something I've been thinking about a little bit more recently is is being, you know, selfless and less uh, narcissistic isn't the word, but less self-serving. I think that's more of a recent thing that I've you know focused in on. I I hate to say it, but it's, it's more recent. Yeah. No, no. I mean, we all struggle. Like, I mean, I was reading a lot of, I mean, I do a, did a lot of research on interviews that you did for this record. Um, and, you know, you talked a lot about the ego and the ego is something that I, I I've talked about with a couple different musicians on, on the podcast. Yeah. It's very, very difficult to like wrangle and get your, get your hands around and kind of even just figure out a plan. Of like, how, right. okay, how can, how can I keep this in check? Cause it's yeah. this kind of thing that you, it's this unconscious thing that you don't, you're not even aware of. And then when it pops up, it's kind of too late to some, most times to kind oh, of it, yeah. realize. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny is like, it's, it's been so prevalent on my, in, in my mind for, uh, this album cycle in particular, um, you know, just because of, you know, different things that have happened in my life and stuff. Uh, but like, you know, at this point when I mentioned something like that in an interview, I'm just like, man, if I keep mentioning this, is it just going to sound like I'm like overcompensating or like, you know, whatever, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of self analyzation and a lot of self-reflection and uh, you know after i get off this interview i'm probably gonna go god damn it i sound so stupid <laughs> so, absolutely, absolutely not i, I mean that it shows a lot of strength to to be able to self-examine in that way and we've talked about that before too or like it's definitely not a vulnerability it's definitely a, a sign of strength right a lot of people don't do that and i was gonna say do something a little different for this interview than i normally do and kind of go track by track on the record it may not be entirely like that but your lyrics are in some sense, like I know exactly what you're talking about, but a lot of times they're they're mm-hmm. so inscrutable through the wording you use, and only you can. I feel like only you could kind of really dissect them in the way that you know, in a way that I, I I can kind of internalize and 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 break down a little bit more. But I wanted to start, you know, because I was reading these interviews, and I know you started saying in interviews this was a very personal record. You were internalizing how you were witnessing family members being brought into cults and kind of echo chamber ways of thinking. And sure. I wanted to you, you, I wanted to lead with this quote from your revolver interview that you did, where you said, uh, they said he's ultimately hoping to find understanding and common ground uh, in terms of addressing the points that you make on the record in terms of like de- dealing with people who believe in, you know, conspiracy theories and kind of like QAnon, that whole world. And you said, it's me being very angry about it, but in a way that I'd like to think is still pretty empathetic. I don't want to other them because talking down, being a dick and saying they're wrong, it almost reassures them that they're right. So I wanted to start with the sense that what is your relationship with the concept of truth? Because right off the bat on Celebrity Therapist is Violent Astrology, which is a song that absolutely, and you know, when I in, in, interpret it, it lambastes, you know, QAnon, conspiracy theorists, civil war, rabid members of the population. And we, we yeah. all live our life with our own subjective experiences and truth from how we were raised. And, you know, it's the media feeding us, you know, all these things combined to kind of create our own subjective little T truth in life as opposed to like the big T truth, like fact, like scientific fact and stuff like that. Yeah. How valuable is someone's subjective truth when it contains values and beliefs like the ones you're calling out? I mean, your album cover is literally the blind leading the blind. So how valuable right, yeah. is the concept of subjective truth in those situations where it contains ideology that purposefully like hurts other people or like wants to other or, like, you know, shut down other people or like restrict their rights? You know, how valuable is that? Yeah. Um, I mean, when it comes to the to like everyone's individual concept of truth, it's I, I think that it's, you know, it is so subjective. And, and you know, 
my definition of it is, you know, what I kind of, I mean, beautiful dude missile. I, that was one where I was kind of trying to touch on that of, you know, the last line being, there's no answer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause ultimately that is how I feel is, you know, if I am trying to decipher the truth of something, I'm trying to look at as many objectives as possible. And, you know, that doesn't make me a saint at all. I have my own biases and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But um, I think that when it comes to the subjective truth of somebody who believes in something like QAnon, um, I think I ultimately am more sympathetic towards them than a a lot of people, because, uh, you know, if you look at the uh, majority base of, of, of QAnon believers, it's uh, you know, these, uh, you know, late millennials, uh, you know, and stuff like that, I guess, uh, maybe gen gen X, uh, maybe that I I'm not, I'm not sure exactly because there's baby boomers and then I forget what is after that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know, but like, you know, these like sort of like it, the majority is like people in their forties and fifties, just, you know, they have been told their entire lives that, you know, what is on American news cycles is, is what's happening. Mm. And, you know, their Fox news is jumping to conclusions that, you know, sometimes end up being true for them. And, you know, they are on Facebook and, you know, they're getting these unverified articles and stuff like that. They haven't been shown this world where, you can kind of fake anything and you kind of can hoax anything. And also I think a lot of them want it to be true because there's not a lot that makes sense to them about this world that they're living in, you know, as far as, you know, their entire lives, you know, gay people couldn't get married. Gay people could barely exist when they were growing up. And, you know, all these, all these things that are changing around them faster than anything changed for their parents, let alone, you know, their grandparents. So Mm. I have this like underlying baseline of sympathy for them of like, yeah, of course they're going to fucking believe all that shit, like, you know? Um, And it's like, it makes me so sad. Like it really does. And like, I think the way to gain my, sympathy and the way to sort of my to pull at my for lack of a better term heartstrings uh that might not be the word i'm looking for exactly but like i it like really really bums me out to see people get sucked into that and you know it makes me very mad that you know the government and people who are too smart uh are just allowing it to happen and perpetuating it. And, you know, with all the many problems that people had with Trump's presidency, I think one of them was, you know, they didn't disavow QAnon until it was much, much too late, you know? Yeah. Manipulation Um, for power. Absolutely. I mean, they were fine with playing into their narrative as, as much as they possibly could to, you know, just keep them as a, as a voter base, you know? And you know, we all saw how that all ended on on January sixth and and stuff like that. I mean, I've I've been following QAnon since oh gosh, since we recorded our last album, Die on Mars. Yeah. So I have been you know closely following you know this kind of line of you know things being 
less and less probable as it goes on because you know that's what you do is you rope people in with something that does look probable and you you know maybe have a note written on white house stationery that looks pretty convincing and you know i'm rambling at this point but you know once you once you see you know one thing that is 75 percent true the thing that is 50% true with 50% of jumping to conclusions starts to look 100% true. You know what I mean? Exactly. So it, it's it's sort of just this really crazy uh, baseline of, you know, worrying about all that stuff. And I lost a good amount of people to that line of thinking. And um, I watched friends and peers alike lose a lot of people to uh, that line of thinking. And, you know, I hear these stories about people's just straight up losing their families, you know, based off of yeah. uh, their belief in QAnon. And um, yeah, I mean, that's the line uh, that I wrote about the American flag and that, I mean, that is truly how I feel. It doesn't feel like uh, anything to get, uh, you know, it's it's not me saying, uh, you know, I don't like looking at, um, at an American flag because the country I live under doesn't, you know, live the way i want to live or believe what i want to believe and the people that are in power aren't the people that i want in power that's not why it's because it's a broken pointless image of of something that quite frankly doesn't care about its citizens whatsoever no matter who's in power so um that's that's ultimately what it is is just this sort of I am very upset about you know the way of thinking and i'm upset that people fall into it but also like God damn, does it like it's it's not, you know, entirely their fault. So. Yeah, I, I I totally totally agree where you're coming from and I, I totally understand it. But you said something really beautiful too in your Brooklyn Vegan interview about your family. You said, I would so much rather love the person that they are apart from their political beliefs than have an identity like that attached to me. How and my question following that up is how difficult is it to detach someone that you love from their beliefs and about how others should be treated, especially strangers? You know, I think that's the hardest thing for so many people in this day and age. They look at what their family members believe and how they how they view people that they don't know and how they would you know treat certain you know minorities and subsec sub sections of the population. You know, I I you guess you answered this question. I said, do you feel pity out of it because most of it is out of fear? And you kind of answered that like, yes, it is. You know, things have changed so much. Like, how can you not kind of fall into these Absolutely. things? You're from a certain generation, but how do you go about? Or how can we go about, if you want to take it even a step further, learning to see the person beneath, like the inherent good of someone that you love beneath certain beliefs? Or can can that can we ever sep- learn to truly separate those things? Or will we always be attached to right. know, the, the worst beliefs that we contain and hold? You know, I think it's I think it's very easy to, I mean, like I see it around the time the holidays rolls around for everybody. Um, I see, you know, these like posts that are like, call out your racist family members. And, um, I know no one's doing that. (laughs) I, I know there isn't a single person who, I mean, if you, if you are uh, Bravo, I'm sure you did something good. Uh, I, I don't, um, you know, I'm, I'm not seeing that happen in, in real life ever. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's it's not exactly like the slam dunk that you think it is of like of like I said this to, you know, get a rise out of this person. And yeah. I, I just, you know, um, and ultimately, like, you know, there there are 
so many ways to love that aren't through, you know, uh, being that way towards your family. And, you know, while I do think it's important to call out you know, real life prejudices and, and stuff like that, I, I think that the ultimate thing is, you know, if you are somebody who, for example, you know, um, if you are somebody who is a very big advocate for, you know, uh, LGBT uh, issues, you know, let that that would be a position that I'm in that I, you know, uh, frankly, have to defend myself against pretty regularly, uh, you know, involving my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to that, I, I think the best way to get your family to come around is just to, to love them and for them to say, well, all right, well, if this person who, uh, you know, I already love, loves gay people, why would I not, you know, eventually? I don't I don't really know. That's been my large experience with with all of that. It's very hard. I mean, like I and for some people, it's it's harder than others of, you know, being able to, uh, you know, not say something. But I, I to me, it's just like. I would so, like I said in that interview, it's like, I would so much rather just, you know, try and look at the positives and just be like, Hey, yeah. you're not going to be around for much longer. Like, or I don't, I don't know. I don't know how much longer we have on this earth and I don't want to spend it talking to you about politics. So, yeah. you know, let's go fishing or let's watch football or something, you know? Um, and it's, it's not easy for everybody, but that's what I, I would rather do, you know, life is just too fucking short. Yeah. So like, a- I, I, I don't really have any sort of political identity beyond just general leftist, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't really attach myself to, you know, liberal or communist or, you know, Marxist yeah. or anything like that. But I, <laughs> I, I can't imagine making that personality, making that my personality over, you know, someone who, is is there to love and and support their yeah. family do you believe in definitive moral good and evil i know you said at the end of the that of the beautiful dude missile that there's no answer but i mean in the sense of like you do not assign yourself any political identity but you definitely have a distinctive sense kind of in the deepest part of your soul i would i would reckon of like what is right and what is good in terms of like how we should behave towards other people like in my point of view, if I'm framing it through my point of view, I told Keith, I said, you know, something I consider to be a definitive moral good to be like saving the planet, you know, saving our home or like relieving uh-huh. suffering for as yeah. many people as possible who live here. Like that to me, again, I, yeah. I don't claim to have a, an answer to this question, but if I was to kind of frame it that way, those would be like definitive moral goods to me. Like these are sure. things that are kind of non-negotiable things that we need to get our fucking priorities straight on is like what what sure. is important and do you believe in that do you think there is like things that you're like okay this is a definitely morally good thing to believe in and this is a definitely morally bad thing to believe in um for sure um you know and i think it's the more objective things um then and you know i here's the thing i don't know if i believe in uh definitive good and evil i definitely believe in a definitive moral good and a definitive moral bad um you know and and like i like i said you know just this sort of being more aware of how i treat people for i mean quite honestly not a very long amount of time for the last like year and a half i guess um you know there is a definitive moral 
Like, you know, it, it's it's very easy to do right by someone, you know, it's, you know, very easy to do. But we as humans overcomplicate things and maybe think like, ah, oh, maybe I can maybe I can get away with this, you know. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm absolutely a, a, I don't know, you know, I've I've been uh, privy to that before, of course. But um, I mean, we all have. But. Uh, as far as like uh, I like moral good and evil goes, uh, or you know, definitive moral and or definitive good and definitive evil goes, I mean, like definitely, it's something like that. It's something like, yeah, absolutely. Like we have to, you know, there are so many things that we have to worry about on Earth before we, you know, ever look towards the stars or anything like that. Of you know, is 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 that just that's something I think about very often is, you know, people just want to talk about, you know, terraforming the moon or Mars or something like that. I'm like, well, okay. Are we just going to do exactly what we did to earth to, you know, the next planet that we live on and and that kind of thing. And um, we kind of got to like work on our own human nature first a little bit. Right. Well, I think that like being raised, I mean, especially being raised in the South, you're raised with this sort of definitive, very American, uh, version of good and evil um, of sort of like, you know, everything America does is good and <laughs> anything that American is, exceptionalism. You know, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Everything that any country that uh, is not America does, even though there might be, you know, the same equal amount of bloodshed is evil, you know? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I feel like there's sort of a warped, uh, perception around you know there's sort of a warped idea of what of what evil means and i don't think i really know what exactly it is other than like you know human trafficking or something like that you know or destroying yeah, right. the planet you know yeah. like you know these things that are so obviously evil but um you know i don't i don't know is that a, is that a terrible answer is this a very no wordy no, I, answer? no, no I, i'm just thinking you know we view i'm thinking of it in the sense of like we know or at least people who lean a certain way politically and I hate to like go back to politics because I don't really, you know, yeah. that's not something like you said that you focus on, but like you can identify a certain group of people that have a belief that's like, I, that they, they, they genuinely want someone to suffer. They want some yeah, of sect of the population to suffer. Like that's literally what they want. Yeah. They want, you know, and they have no empathy about it they have no qualms about it. they don't take the right, time to sure. think like what if i would do if i was in that position they say send the immigrant back to their country that's you know being controlled by mm-hmm. a cartel or like where their family will die in a drug war or like you know send right, them back yeah. to mexico city where they you know if it's like a daca person who send them back to mexico city where they literally were they literally left when they were two years old with give them just give them nothing and send them back and let them figure things out right, on their own. Yeah. it's like where is your empathy like where is your kindness like you literally right, want of these, course it seems like you just want these people to suffer and to me like i don't know i don't know how i categorize that if that's some definitive moral evil but like i don't even know if i if they want people to suffer i don't know where it comes from it's just very yeah, hard for I me don't... to reconcile and so i i kind of label it that because it's so foreign to me i don't know how to label it and so yeah. i can only kind of label it as this feels like a definitive moral evil you know well i mean what you're what you're saying about empathy there is i think where your your answer is is you know i don't know if they want people to suffer necessarily or if it's just like well i don't yeah i don't i think it's more so it's just like i'm <laughs> you know as a republican politician i'm you know, making millions of dollars a year 
lobbying bullshit and you know eventually i get to write my memoir i could give a fuck about you know a kid in mexico city you know what i mean i think it is just like a total and complete lack of empathy um but i don't know they could want them to suffer i don't know you know it's 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 this sort of just baseline of of lack of empathy that i think um you know i mean both sides of the political spectrum seem to have that of you know not caring i i mean i think there's a lot of people who would consider themselves to be leftists who don't care about the South and, you know, don't care about uh, not to equate the South to Mexico at all. But I, I feel like, you know, there's plenty of good people down here and we're just all labeled as, you know, redneck Trump loving Republicans. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I feel like that is where, uh, you know, I, I think doing away with apathy is, is yeah. uh, you know, the only real answer you know what i mean yeah sometimes it's not the it's not even so much it's not even so much the, what someone says i mean usually it's what someone says but it's almost in the way that they say it too like with so much like venom in yeah. their voice because it's all that they've been raised with and all that they know is to kind of like lash out and to kind of like be angry and be spew vitriol at what they don't understand or things that they of course you know yeah. what i'm talking about but i mean you wrote this yeah. you wrote in title track you said the line that i love it's one of my favorite passages on the entire record you said can't you admit that you're wrong so apologize because your bank account doesn't care if your friend dies i'm sure that you're just as pissed and world weary but i don't think that means you're above any of us like what what were you thinking when you wrote that i'm just curious and, and then we can go on from there but when you wrote that what headspace were you in and like what were you particularly thinking about um i mean i was thinking about this i mean if there's if there's anything that i think anybody can relate to it's you know sort of uh the pain and grief of losing someone close to you um whether that be through some kind of you know mistake that you or the other person made where they are you know figuratively dead to you or if uh you know through the actual act of someone passing away it's it not only does uh do just the universal things in your life not care um and most of the world doesn't and most of the world's people don't you know um i don't want to go back to the headspace i was in when i wrote that i, I don't think yeah um, i mean i don't i'm not gonna have uh, if you feel uncomfortable this is all right no no, no 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 it's it's not that at all it's just like um i think when i wrote that i was very uh upset about a couple different things in particular. And um, I, I think that I was particularly up, upset at, you know, uh, the idea of uh, someone treating me or, you know, a close friend of mine uh, as if they were dead to them. Um, and just how at the end of my life, you know, or at the end of, you know, if someone I, dislike or if someone who i'm not on good terms with passed away tomorrow how i how i would feel um and you know there's a lot of people in my life that i just didn't really get to say goodbye to um mm. and uh all of that kind of culminated into this sort of storm of feelings of you know i just i don't know i don't know what to do when when something like that happens you know there there truthfully is no there truthfully is no light at the end of the tunnel, you know, in that, in that moment. And that's, I think what I was trying to cap capture there um, was that just feeling of, of complete and total, just like nothing is going right. Everything is a nightmare. Um, 
which, you know, I'm sure everybody yeah. has been in that position where it's like absolutely nothing is going right. So in a way, it's a very, um, compa- it's a very yeah. compassionate line. You know, when you say, I'm sure that you're just as pissed and world weary, but I don't think that means you're above any of us. Cause I read that almost as like, what we were kind of just talking about where you can see someone that a lot of people at first glance would immediately push away and, and distance themselves from, and you almost kind of draw closer to them and be like, listen, like I get it to a certain extent. Like I may not understand everything about you. Yeah. But like I understand like we are all human and we all suffer every, you know, we don't, we truly can't identify with another person's suffering because we haven't lived that person's life. We haven't gone through every single thing that they've gone through. Absolutely. Similar experiences yeah. you're kind of extending a hand. You're saying, Hey, I understand why you're like this. That doesn't. And you're saying that doesn't give you an excuse to be hateful, Yeah, you know, because it's your responsibility. You know, they always say like, it is not your responsibility for the trauma that happened to you, but it is your responsibility to heal from it. You know, it is your responsibility to like take that and internalize it and learn how to heal from it as best you can. Of course. And so the yeah. follow-up to that is, how do we cultivate empathy? How do you, how did you cultivate empathy? How can we grow? And especially for people that find it very difficult, do you have, I'm not, and I'm not asking you to speak for everyone, but in your own personal life and experience, how have you cultivated and cultivated empathy for people? And what do you, yeah, do strategies or what do you see? What do you actively choose to see through the eyes of another person to kind of cultivate empathy? What I would, what I would say is, Unfortunately, I think most of the time I have uh, had to have had to see something from uh, another person's perspective when it was too late. Mm. Um, And, uh, you know, I think just (laughs) for me, it's, you know, been constant. I hate trial and error is not the right word, but constant error. Um, And, you know, there's this sort of turn that I think I made around. Uh, you know, the age of, uh, I guess, around the time I turned 24 or 25 or something like that, where it was just like, oh, my God, like, is this going to be, you know, I, you know, just looking at people who are older than me that, you know, don't really have that and don't have, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of care for anybody in the world other than, than themselves. It's, you know, once you hit a certain age, it just kind of solidifies. And I think for me. I I wish it was out of I wish it was out of something other than fear um, that that is what I would or will turn into. But I think that it's just sort of this constant just bell that kind of rings in my head. It's just like, are you are you doing that for yourself or are you doing that for somebody else or are you saying that you're doing it for somebody else and actually it's for you? You, right. yeah. you know, like. And uh, the ego rearing its ugly head it's, again. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, yeah. I mean, I, I, there's, you know, of course, I can't be the one to to say that I've changed. That's for you know other people to say, and uh, you know, I can't be the one to say that I've you know shed my ego because I know I haven't. Uh, you know, uh, especially with all these year end lists with my album popping up on it. You know, I think I'm hot shit every twenty minutes, but uh, you know. Uh, I mean, you deserve uh, it though. I mean, for real, that's the feed that good, that good kind of ego, you know, where it's like you, you made something <laughs> amazing. So take, take a little credit for it, you know? Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that, man. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that just, I think humbling yourself and, you know, uh, for example, the album that I'd say was my personal favorite album of the year 
was uh was chat piles god's country mm. and uh i just you know keep seeing it pop up everywhere and like you know seeing them get these huge you know write-ups and yeah, opportunities mentions amazing uh i mean amazing record but you know like it's it's sort of humbling yourself and allowing yourself to just be like ah, ah, ah you know what i am jealous of that i am i am jealous that i didn't write that i am you know it's it's just sort of being aware i think self-awareness you know it's the only thing that separates us from the animal kingdom so you should use it every now and then you know yeah absolutely i mean and even just you've discussed the kind of topic broadly but if you if you want to go deeper like what is a moment that you maybe caught yourself in a moment where you weren't feeling empathy and then you caught yourself and then you you said let me stop for a second and then oh goodness and what did you do like what did you consciously think can you remember what you consciously thought in that moment to get you there? Um, this is a this is a bit of a lighter example. Um, I almost bought my little brother something I definitely wanted. <laughs> you know, it just was like <laughs> was just like, well, he's not gonna like it as much as I'm gonna <laughs> like it, so I'll just take it. And you know, um, it was a it was a book, and you know, my my youngest brother doesn't he? he I mean, he's very smart. He doesn't really read fiction or anything like that and i was like well he's not gonna read it so eventually um but no i caved and i, I bought go. a lego set, really so. <laughs> exactly exactly no and i was just like i it was just sort of an active like okay all right no, no 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 step back like what is you know what would he like what can i what can i get for him that he would be stoked on and it was a lego set he already had so you know maybe that's my punishment for <laughs> thinking <laughs> thinking i could get him something uh that he wanted to but that's a great story though i mean that's a great i think no great no good deed goes unpunished yeah for real for real but you know what this is a cheesy this is a cheesy question kind of but i mean, I mean i'm a cheesy person i don't think it's cheesy because i think there's a lot of truth in it but i mean i'm curious what you think like do you think really that love and kindness is the way to solve a lot of what we view as the ills of the ails of the world does it just take more love and cultivating that and kind of finding it through and like you said like i want to because i'm tying it into what you said like i just want to like attack it with love essentially is what you said like when you view people in your family or other people that sure you're like i just want to share the love i have yeah i don't want to really go down any other road like do you do you truly in your heart of hearts believe that that is really the key to maybe not even solving is the right word but maybe one day things kind of work themselves out in a way if we just all kind of, you know, attack it with love and kindness and through that lens, I guess. You know, I don't, I don't know if, if love is the solution. I don't know if attacking with love is the solution to everything. I think specifically in the instance with, you know, Republican family members, you know, uh, I think it, I think it might be the solution. I don't know if they're, you know, doing inherently a lot of bad into the world. I, I think that, you know, they're not the ones peddling misinformation into people's brains. So, you know, I think they're probably all right. And, you know, being attacked with love when, you know, they might not be around for much longer is probably the solution there. Um, And I know that's, you know, not possible for everybody, but uh, you know, that's, that's my personal solution. Uh, I think that for the world in general, I think just being honest um, and, you know, sort of, uh, honest when it's not very fun to be honest uh and you know not em- embellishing when you know even even when something might be uh sexy to embellish <laughs> um 
you know, that's that's just for for my world around me. What's kind of helped me and what's improved my life is just kind of being brutally honest and brutally upfront with everybody in my life. Um, I think it made my relationship with uh, my band a lot better. And, you know, I got to set your boundaries. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I uh, am dating a person that loves me a lot that I can be brutally honest. You love to see it. Yeah, yeah. Um, someone I can be brutally honest with. Love is uh, awesome, man. Isn't it? Isn't it great? It's super cool. It's super cool. I I can't uh, imagine anything better. So, um, yeah, man. I I think that it it might not be that the solution is attacking everything with love, but definitely, uh, it's sort of attacking everything with brutal well, I honesty. Can, I can tell you that uh, all the love in the world goes out to you and your partner and your band, and I wish you all the success. Uh, so with that being said, this brings us to our final two segments of the show, Carson. First up okay. is Tomes of Wisdom, where each guest recommends us three pieces of media that have inspired them philosophically or spiritually in the last year. This can be films, books, games, comics, anything that has made you think about your own life or life in the world in a different way. And you obviously know this already because you've listened to other episodes. So, Carson, what are three pieces of media you've consumed that you would recommend for us to digest? Sure. Um, my first answer would be uh, Darren Aronofsky's uh, 2006 film, The Fountain. It is uh, my favorite movie of all time. Uh, I watched it for the first time earlier in 2022. Um, I think it is a a beautiful piece of media about uh, love and letting go and, um, you know, confronting your past. Um, I think it is uh, one of the most beautiful movies ever made, period. Uh, And uh, if you like Hugh Jackman, if you like Darren Aronofsky, can't recommend it enough. Um, I just read this book right here, uh, The Singularities by John Banville. Mm. Um, it's about a uh, 70-year-old man uh, who served a near-life sentence in prison, uh, going back to his uh, the home he grew up in uh, before he went to prison. Um, super, super interesting. Uh, there's like a bit of a supernatural uh science element uh to it i was about to uh, ask if this was fiction or non-fiction but i'm guessing fiction basically. fiction <laughs> fiction it is fiction yes um it is super 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 good uh very sad though can't recommend it enough super good um oh uh okay uh this is a this is a rewatch because uh my girlfriend and i just started rewatching this but uh the hbo series the leftovers i think Ooh. is like one of the most brilliantly made uh, and most underrated things uh, ever brought to television. It is three seasons of absolute, uh, just well thought out per uh, storytelling. Um, some some great lyrics in there to to steal from lines in that show. So you know, if you uh, you know just turn the closed captioning on, I'm sure you'll find something if you you know have writer's block or or whatever. And finally, this is the segment I like to call The Chaser. In The Chaser, we ask the same 10 rapid-fire questions for each guest, and we ask that they keep their answer to 30 seconds or less, although I am not a, a stickler on that in any way, shape, or form. So if it goes okay. to 30, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go good. for it. So are you ready, Carson? Of course. Born ready. Do you believe in fate or free will and why? Uh, I believe in uh, fate because that's what I was (laughs) raised with was that uh, some higher power had a plan for me. And uh, that's uh, very comforting to me. So 
I, I prefer to believe in fate, but, uh, you know, I could be convinced to believe in free will. What is a stronger force in the world, love or hate and why? People seem to relate to each other more regarding hate than love, which upsets me. But I think ultimately love is more powerful. Who are the three most important spiritual and moral guides in your life and why? Um, my very good friend, Ian Riley. Uh, he is more knowledgeable regarding uh, the Bible and the parts of the Bible that I like. And he's an excellent translator to uh, giving me information like that. Um, the other person would probably be uh, the other one would uh, the next one would be my biggest lyrical influence. Aaron Weiss from the band me without you. Mm. Um, I, I think that pretty much everything that, he said was uh spoken through him by some kind of power, higher power so um he was just a vessel a prophet i i think that uh i think that he holds the record for the lyricist with the most universal truths in uh any any amount of lyrics my last one would be uh director and writer william peter blatty um uh, director of uh, the ninth configuration and uh the exorcist 3 uh writer of the exorcist series um i think that he was like one of the most brilliant minds to probably ever live we love a good um, exorcist 3 shout out dude favorite movie of, other than the fountain i fucking love that movie so much what is the most delicious meal you've had in the last month and where was it uh, uh i had a i had a seafood boil at a at a juicy crab um here in in georgia and uh i think it's a chain but wow, just so the best snow crab legs I've I've ever had in my life. So nice. good. So, nice. so good. What was the most spiritual place for you where you grew up and why? And it doesn't have to be like literally spiritual. It can be like a place where you just felt like a great sense of awe or like, wow, this, this place has an energy to it. Um, There was like this kind of uh very, uh you know, weird man-made lake uh, where I, I grew in the neighborhood. I grew up that had a dock that, um, me and my little brothers used to uh, fish off of. Um, and I think that that's where I, uh, maybe without knowing it, that was where I would do my, my deepest thought um, or that's where I would, you know, be able to think the clearest. So that would, that would probably be my answer. I haven't been back there in a little while. I probably should. When was the last time you felt lost? I mean, very recently uh, I I'm, you know, we're trying to write the follow-up for celebrity therapists right now. Um, and, uh, you know, there are days where I have no idea. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? I <laughs> like, you know, what is this? Is this good? Is are people going to like this? Um, and, uh, you know, so it's pretty frequent if, if that's, uh, you know, not a very fun answer, but there you go daily perpetually. Right. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Do you think the universe bends towards order or towards chaos and why? Um, I'm going to say unintentionally it bends towards chaos um because it's so random and uh you know i know i said that i believe in fate and all that shit but uh to me everything that happens is uh you know kind of you know it, it's chaotic in its randomness but that doesn't always mean it's a bad thing mm. what is the most important piece of your childhood that you've held on to and why and again this can be like a physical thing or it can be like an emotional tenet I'm I'm answering with this because I I think I've just been thinking about it a lot. Um, I am so so grateful that uh, Chester Bennington was a person who was alive and 
put out music at the same time that uh, I was alive. Um, I think that if Linkin Park hadn't uh, come into my life at the time that it did, where I was very lost and very confused and very scared, um, I do not think I would be the person that I am today. Um, So uh, I would say my love for that band is something that um, I don't think is ever going to go away. Um, truthfully, I hadn't listened to them since Chester's death, um, up until the other day. Um, and, uh, I'm just very grateful that it, it exists and that, um, I found it in my life when I did, and I'm grateful to be able to revisit it. So what is the one axiom or quote that centers you and calms you in dark times? Oh gosh. Um, Aaron Weiss's lyric on the song, uh, Fox's dream of the log flume by me without you. It is our aimless arrows, our aimless arrow words don't mean a thing to whether I think it's pretty obvious that there's no God and there's definitely a God. To everyone who has ever been touched by your words and music, what do you say? Start a band, uh, make something, please. Um, I'd love to hear it. I'd love to read it. Um, I'd love to watch it. Um, And if you don't want to do that, do whatever you want. Uh, don't uh, let anybody uh, bend your life into doing something that you don't want because you may wake up in, you know, 20 years and realize that you not wasted some time, but, you know, maybe have some things that you should have done that you wish you would have done uh, earlier. But um, if you have the capacity to make something, even if you think it's bad, um, I'll probably love it. So, um, you know, send it to me. Uh, if if you If you like my stuff i'd I'd love to hear your stuff please carson you have just engaged in psychic warfare thank you so much for joining (laughs) me today it truly means the world hey thank you so much for having me hey everyone thanks again for listening to psychic warfare if you like content like this for the rock and metal scene it would mean a lot to me if you could hit subscribe or follow on your podcast platform of choice also you can follow me at risk with a k on twitter and you can follow the show at cywar pod on twitter and psychic warfare podcast on instagram and facebook thank you guys again for all the support and i will see you in the next episode for another round of psychic warfare